MSW Media. And now, here's the universe letting us know it really doesn't want us to have a promo from Pitbull. I was wondering if you could do me one quick favor say, hey, this is Pitbull, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. It's official. What are we drinking? By the way, you dropped out. Done? You dropped out for a second there. So if your, your phone went out. Let's try it one more time. It's that little chico pitbull, Mister Three Hundred Five. But it said Mister Worldwide. Play with it, darling. Yeah. <laughs> I think the universe does not want you to promote my show. Every time you do it, it keeps dropping out. No. But don't, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> one more time, chico. We'll, we'll one, more time. one more time, chico. One, yeah. one more time. I'll try one more time. Right? Here we go. I'm gonna try one more time. That little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and it's official. You are listening to What Are We Drinking with Dan Dunn. You game, play with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yes, the show. The show. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. And joining me on this program today, we've got two great guests. First, I'm going to be talking to soccer legend, Allie Wagner. Allie Wagner from the U.S. Women's Soccer Team Gold Medal winning, World Cup winning U.S. Women's Soccer Team. Allie is teaming up with Brandy Chastain, doing a thing this week called Women in Wine and Sports. We're going to talk about that and how you can get involved. It's a, there's going to be a tasting and discussion on Thursday, May 20th. So coming up in just a couple. And then I'm also going to be talking to my old pal, friend of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mr. Daniel Brennan. Daniel Brennan is a kid from South Jersey. He's a guy now, but he was a kid from South Jersey. Grew up with the dream to make wine. And he went and followed that dream all the way to New Zealand where he's been making wine for about the last 13 years, some of the best wines coming out of New Zealand. And we're going to hear that fascinating story. The story of Dan Brennan, expatriate. He is the most interesting man in the world. I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber on Instagram. Follow the podcast at WWD underscore podcast for all the latest news about the show, videos. We'll have some videos from what we did today, next week. Guest will be Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger joining me. We're going to be drinking scotch on next week's program, so teasing that for you. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Boy, things are opening back up, and it's exciting. I, I went out last week to a place called Fellow. Now, if you're in the Los Angeles area are going to be in the Los Angeles area. Fellow is in Westwood, and it's got quite the pedigree. The executive chef, Chris Flint, was at Maud and Nomad LA, 11 Madison Park. The bar director is a guy who was just on the show recently, Adam Fournier. That's right. He was at Nueva. He also used to be at the Nomad. He is the 2021 U.S. World Class Bartender of the Year by USBG and Diageo. And now he's a fellow. And he's, oh my God, the drinks he made there the other night blew me away. The wine was so good. All of it. I loved it. Man, it just felt really good to sit inside of a restaurant and be served a meal, a wonderful meal by professional staff. And I got to tell you, this is the new normal. I'm on board. I really am. I'm I'm beyond ecstatic after 14 months in the house. It's time, man. It is time. And I'm actually going to be hitting the road soon. I'm going to be traveling to the East Coast. I'll be doing some shows back there from Virginia and Philadelphia and New York City. 
June, what we're drinking is going to be what we're drinking on the East Coast. Can't wait. If anybody's back in Philly or New York, in, actually in New York, I think we're going to, we're looking to maybe do a, a live recording of this show, and I'll have more details about that probably on next week's show. So, man, charging ahead. We are charging the fuck ahead. And you know what? This show is so jam-packed. We got to charge ahead right now on this show. So I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right to it. Let's get to our first guest, shall we? Joining me now, someone who is better at sports than I am. And that's not saying a lot on this show. I mean, a lot of people are. But uh, she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time FIFA Women's World Cup bronze medalist. She is the first woman to call a FIFA men's world cup game on us television. And she is here with us. And I'm very excited. Allie Wagner. Hi. Hi, Dan. I mean, what an intro. I I wanted your bio paired with mine there, but yeah, no, it's thanks for coming on the show. It's great to see you. I'm i I'm a big fan. I, there's just something so phenomenal about the U S women's team because they're they're so good i just think it's such a uh it's sort of a microcosm of a lot of things that are wrong with society in a way in terms of i know i know your teammate uh, uh, uh megan uh, rapino it's yeah. a big call and whereas you guys are the best like you're the best and the fact that you're not getting paid the money and i don't want to suck you into this thing i'm just saying like i, I always sit there and i go the you you guys just you kick such serious ass. Yeah. And it's so great to watch you do it. You should be making triple what the men make. I'm just saying that right now. You should be. And I mean that. Like it, you know, they don't do shit, the men's team. No offense, men's team. But yeah. When was the last time they won the World Cup? Uh, you know, to be fair, the men going forward look pretty good, I will say. Oh, but look worth- at you. I know. She's I'm- like, why are you doing this I'm to me? No, I'm not, Dan. I'm I'm <laughs> And hire you to be our spokesperson right. for a soccer woman. That, that's what I'm thinking. And, and I don't think that the ladies would have a problem with it. <laughs> well, aside from that, Allie, you know, hey, again, thank you for, for coming on and cheers. Let's raise a little glass here. There we go. Yeah. A little wine. We're having some wine. And, mm. and I've a little bit later on the show, I've got a Dan Brennan coming on. Who's a, uh, a guy from South Jersey who moved to New Zealand to make, wine but i what i dan's an old friend and i do know that he is from delran new jersey so who's from delran new jersey that you know carly lloyd carly yes. lloyd yes yes and she's one and, of the, she's one of the best ever right yeah yeah you'd have to say when when you look at the best ever though i mean you can frame it however you want but but people who stepped up in big moments that 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 was what carly did so big time goals 2004 Olympics. I'm probably going to miss some here. 2008 Olympics. And then obviously the world cup getting the hat trick. I mean, that that's, that's a feat that, that, you know, men and women would drool over if they could add that to their resume. I want to talk about why you're here, but I also, I really do want to get into this with the saga with you. So you're working, you're doing a thing. You're teaming up with California winemakers for a thing called women in wine and sports. And it's an event that's happening yep. Thursday, May 20th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Yep. That, that's 9 p.m. Eastern for those of you who are not good in math. And it's going to be you and Amy Gutierrez is moderating. Brandy Chastain will be on there. And then you're going to have winemakers on, uh, uh, female, I hate, I hate even saying it, but female winemakers, winemakers, yep. they're winemakers. Uh, Christy Melton from Freemark Abbey, which is a phenomenal wine. Christina Christina Scheidler from Arrowhead again another from that and then Jill Russell from Cambria we're talking about these are heavy hitters these are heavy hitter winemakers heavy hitter wines you're going to be doing a an auction you're going to be doing donations things people can go where do they go here it's yourwinestore.com i believe to go to find uh, the link and and you're exactly right so they're going to taste through the wines with us we'll we'll send them the package of three wines and I'm looking forward to it. I don't think I've had I, any of those wines. And then we're just going to be talking about excellence and, and probably a lot of, a lot of chit chat on, on uh, interesting moments that we probably all had in our careers. So it should be good. I mean, wine, sports, who, who doesn't want to put it together? Who don't want to do it? Now, now, Allie, are you, are you a big 
wine drinker? Yes, I am, Dan. Yes, you live in you live in Northern California, so you are kind of in the heart of American wine country. And and I would tell you that you know I was fortunate enough. So my my parents really came from nothing. You know they were they were actually born out in Wisconsin, didn't have a lot, and they ended up making their own way in the world. And and I was lucky enough not to know that lifestyle. And I was born into uh, comfort, you could say. So I grew up around wine all the time. Uh, my dad, he he bought really nice wines, uh, Romani Conti, like that. Yeah. That was like that's, that's in ourselves. Still, still yeah. drink it. Um, we still have some bottles that that we'll share for big occasions. So I was introduced to it, to it, I think, at a young age. And then in my career, I actually went abroad and played for Olympic Lyonnais in France. And where we were actually stationed, OL, Olympic Lyonnais, is uh, in Beaujolais region. And they used to mock us Americans. So I started to get more into wine over there. And, and they used to mock us because they're like, you guys love our Beaujolais and we just call it our shit wine. You know, they say that's our new wine. It's crap. And, and in all fairness, it's, it's better now or it's, I think it's got a better reputation now. But when I lived, played there, I fell in love with champagne. And we would go up to Rennes, which I could not pronounce correctly. So I'd go buy our tickets to go up to the champagne region and I kept saying, yeah, I need to go to Rennes, you know, but I was trying to speak French and be assimilated as much as I could. And they kept giving me tickets to Rennes, R-H-E-N-S. And I'm like, no, I need to go to Rennes. And, and they're like, Rennes, no, what is that? You know? And then finally they're like, oh, Rennes. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I was saying. And finally, you know, I got my ticket to R-E-I-M-S and, and, you know, fell in love with with really French champagnes and, and discovered like Madame Foucault was one of the first uh, champagne makers as, as a woman uh, in that region. So yeah, love, I've loved it. I love it. You've had all this success. How, where, where you're, you're, you were Santa Clara, right? Is that where you went to college? Yeah. Okay. Spot on. Did you have an idea when you were in college that you could make the Olympics, you could make the U S squad or. Yeah. So good, good question. Um, I was the last player cut from the 99 World Cup team. So I was about 18 when I went into residency with our U.S. team out in Florida. And so even before I entered college, and I had actually torn my ACL like my last year in high school. And so I was recovering from that, but still competing for a place on, on the World Cup squad. So that was before I even stepped foot on to, you know, any, into any collegiate game. So I always had it as when I was that close to it, it was always something that that I felt like I, I could taste and that I, I, you know, kept driving towards. You get on the U S team, you have success on a scale that I don't know that many na- I mean, if you, if you set aside the dream teams in basketball, which was let's, let's face it kind of cheating, right? You know, you're, you take, I mean, has there, is there, is there a more successful international program than the U S women's soccer team? I don't think, I mean, team sport wise, I would say absolutely not. You know, I, I think if you look at individual sports, maybe, maybe it's a little bit different, but no, I mean, I think, you know, we've been so dominant for so long. And, and when we, the one year that we actually didn't even get to the the semifinals in a tournament was back in uh, the, it was the 2016 Olympics. So we just won uh, gold in the world cup in 2015, 2016 Olympics. We're ousted by Sweden before you got to that semifinal round. And that was our earliest exit from a world event. And that was like, to, to your point, Dan, that was, that was a massive failure. You know, meanwhile, we advanced the knockout rounds, but expectation is win or, or failure. Yeah. If you don't win, if you don't win the world cup, you've lost, yeah. right? I mean, that, that's kind of how it goes. And yeah. the pressure there. So now I understand why you drink wine. The pressure there has to be incredible, right? I mean, you don't go into any tournament or didn't go into any tournament when back when you were still playing. The only outcome that is acceptable is to win. Yes. Yes. You're, you're spot on. And, but that was the, that was almost the best part of being a part of those, those teams is that we had this confidence and this arrogance that, that was like, get out of our house, right? This is our game. You're, we're only letting you in you know, for a moment to play so we can beat you and move on. So that was part of the, that's part of the culture of, I think the U S women's national team. And if you look at sports in general, you look at the greatest athletes, I know you've had them on your show. You're going to continue having them on, but 
the one piece that is consistent through all of these teams or athletes are, are the mental, the mental strength, the mental ability, the, the inner confidence. And, and that's what sets you apart because at the end of the day, you're up against athletes that are just as good as you physically and have trained. Well, well, what we would say is they haven't trained as hard and that's where you kind of get your edge. But for the most part, you know, they're committed to their craft, but it is the mental difference that, that is, that set us apart for so long. And, and that's, that's something that that's an edge that when you step on a field, you know, you already have over your opponent and you've already won. I mentioned earlier, you were the first woman to call a a men's game in the world cup. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it was such an anomaly, you, you know, and, and now you're starting to see, um, oh, in the NBA, Doris Burke and people, and you're, you're, you're getting it. It's kind of crazy, right? To see how I think people are just coming around and they're just going, yeah, this is fine. We can do yeah. it. Cause I, early on, I, I'm going to figure you probably got some pushback, right? You probably, you know, cause yeah. The bunch of misogynist pigs in this world. I'm sorry, but uh, not me though, Allie, not me. But I can tell Dan you're lovely. But yeah, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to feel really good to be someone who was kind of a uh, a groundbreaker in that, in that regard. Yeah. I I would tell you that, that you're spot on and and how it's transitioned and it's transitioned pretty quickly. I think Doris Burke is probably, you know, she's one of the best analysts across all sports. And regardless of male period of gender. Yeah. She's great. She's knows her shit completely. And that's the difference, right? It, it, for me, I would tell you when we can talk about my soccer career and then we can look at my broadcasting career, I would actually say that, that calling, you know, the first world cup match as a woman, as an analyst in the United States was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done, which is crazy to think. Um, and I've had triplets, <laughs> I have triplet seven-year-old boys. And, and I would just tell you that the, the, yes, the comments that, you know, Twitter doesn't help situations, but, but the, the weight that I felt, um, once I was in it was pretty heavy because initially so I, you, you felt the pressure going in, like when you were, when it was about to start, were you feeling that weight or no? So in the buildup was insane because it, for me, I got into it because I just wanted to to bring light to the game I love, the art that I love, and I wanted to do it in a different way than I was hearing it, you know? And I got in because I believed that I I was good and that I was going to be better than anyone else that they would choose. And so I got in on those pure, pure motivations, not to be anything, not to be the first woman. I just wanted to do it because this is like the biggest stage in all of world's football. And I love football. It's in my soul. And I want to talk about it and, and share the beauty and the art of it with everyone. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, by the way, you're going to be the first woman to ever do this. Right. And, and that's where it took on a, a meaning that I almost wasn't mentally prepared for because that's not why I got in. And, and I do think that's like, what's cool about it is that it, it was very, you know, it was very pure in motivation, but it ended up becoming a pretty heavy, uh, something pretty heavy to bear. And I, it took a lot out of me more than I anticipated. Let's put it that way. Uh, there were some, there were some tears for sure. Um, and what's amazing is I'm sure, you know, you're a world-class athlete, (laughs) like, you know, the game better than anybody. So what are we talking about here? Do we not like the sound of a woman's voice? Of course, you know, like, what are you hung up on? And it, and it's just this, obviously it, it, it goes to the whole patriarchy thing. And, and it's a lot of what we see now when it comes to politics, the way that people want it. I don't want things to change. And, yeah. and I think it's so great that you have, you were such an agent of change. You're, you're one of the first people to do it and, 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 and not only do it and show everybody, Hey, this is cool. great. See, see how it sounds. It sounds really cool. You're going to be okay. You can wake up in the morning and still be the same person you were before. The game still happened and it, and it was still fun to watch and she didn't ruin it for you. It taught me something, although that's boy. No, I, it wasn't Dan. It wasn't the comments that I cared about. It was more, it was more that I just wanted to do the, like, I just was emotional because I wanted to do the best job I could do. And that's where like, but that's, what's always driven me. So it wasn't, I I really didn't get too bothered or hung up on any of that because there was so much support as well. 
and people being like, wow, I, she's rad. I like listening to her. So, you know, I think with the good, with, with the good, they're always going to be the naysayers. And it was, it's easy to just kind of move those people along. Do you miss playing? Yeah, for sure. I, I miss it because I miss it on so many levels, but the game has changed so much from, from when we played to where it is now. And I was more suited for this style of play. Like I was a pure 10 and, and back then we were, we just kind of went and we went and we weren't tactical. And I love the, I love tactics. I love, you know, the geometry of space and, and all that that goes into it. And you didn't have three seven-year-olds running around too back yeah. then, right? <laughs> What's harder, winning the World Cup or having triplets? I would tell you, without a doubt, triplets. Plus one. I have a little girl that's five as well. So I got Man. four. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's just hearing that. I'm like, that's probably the most impressive feat of all, Mm -hmm. of everything you've done. Having triplets seems to be, yeah, yeah, right there. Well, so I, here, let me raise a toast to that. I gotta, and I, and I gotta give a shout out to Reynolds Winery. This is what I'm drinking. Look at this. It's a hand pressed label. Ooh. And yep, they're in Napa. And this is one of their reserves. It was a, a, it's a Napa cab, um, Stag's Leap district cab. It's delicious, by the way. So Allie's, as we mentioned, Allie's involved with the Women in Wine and Sports. It is happening Thursday, May 20th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. It's going to be uh, Amy Gutierrez is hosting, Brandy Chastain, Allie Wagner, a, a plethora of incredible female winemakers. You got to go to your wine store and what do you do? Yourwinestore.com. Yes. 20% of the proceeds go to girls in sport and it, through the Olympic club foundation, which is obviously really important to us uh, being involved in this and, and just giving girls the opportunity to play and talk about the stuff that we're, we're talking about because sports changes lives, you know? And, and so it's, it's that that's motivated us. We have a silent auction as well. Dan, I hope you're there bidding on something. Um, you might want a Magnum signed by Brandy or I, who knows? <laughs> Like now, can I just get that? Because I know you. Can I just? Can I just? <laughs> yeah, next sure. time I'm up in Northern Cal, can I? Shh, oh, yeah. No, I meant yes. I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> I'm on it. Uh, no, it's a great. It's a great cause, and and, and it's going to be. It seems like going to be a, a ton of fun, and and uh, I really want to thank you for coming on here and talking about it with us and having some wine with me. Yes, Dan. Thank you for having me, and thank you for um, encouraging me to open my. My bottle of wine tonight. There you go. Cheers. Allie Wagner, thank you so much. It's that time of year again, New Year's. It's that time of year where we make those resolutions about dropping weight, answering our mom's calls, staying in touch with friends. It always feels like the perfect time to refocus on what we want in life, but it's easy to get stuck looking back on all of the resolutions we didn't keep last year. This year, there's one resolution I am definitely keeping, and that's making my mental health a priority. Make it part of your daily routine with Talkspace. Talkspace personally matches you with a licensed therapist you could connect with right from your phone or computer. I've been in therapy for years, but it's always been so challenging to find the right person. I've bounced around to different therapists and it's always, does this one take my insurance? Is this one close to my house? With Talkspace, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. Listen, everyone could use someone to talk to. I personally deal with some anxiety and my problem at night is those racing thoughts that I can't turn off. I'm up all hours of the night thinking about everything that everyone ever said to me and how am I going to get through this? My therapist at Talkspace taught me some really awesome breathing techniques that help me calm my mind, calm my body, and give me a more restful sleep. Connecting with a licensed therapist on Talkspace can help you feel better and it's secure. No one's going to hear what you say and that's the best part. Let all that talk fly. Unlike traditional therapy, Talkspace fits your schedule, not the other way around. Talkspace treats your privacy and security as their top priority. You get access to private virtual room with just you and your therapist. You can send your therapist messages 24-7 and get replies throughout the day. No need to wait for that weekly appointment. You owe it to yourself to make mental health a priority this year. And Talkspace makes it easy to keep. 
Visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use promo code STARBURNS at sign up. That's S-T-A-R-B-U-R-N-S. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com, promo code STARBURNS. Joining me now is the founder, winemaker, a New Zealand winery called Decibel Wines. Yeah, it's a New Jersey native, and that's an interesting story, and I want to hear it. Daniel Brennan, how are you, man? I'm great, Dan. How are you, man? Everybody knows out there, Dan and I are friends. Uh, this is not a first time we're chatting, but... Uh, Man, how are you? First off, you're in New Zealand. It looks beautiful there in the background. I could see it. Um, I'm jealous, man, because, you know, going through what we went through here the last 14 months or so, New Zealand, more than any other country that I know of, seems to have come out of it almost unscathed, right? Yeah, that's right. We had, uh, you know, we kind of got on the same page very quickly here. Um, You know, we had some things in our advantage being... uh, few islands in the middle of the Pacific that obviously made things a little easier, but, you know, uh, our prime minister was, you know, kept talking about, a, uh, you know, a team of 5 million and, uh, everybody just kind of got on the same page, treated lockdown real seriously. And then, um, yeah, I think they more that, you know, that was, that, that was really cool as a country to see, but then, uh, you know, the services and government and things really just, used a lot of science and really tracing. They were really on, on top of the whole, uh, you know, finding out which strain and where it goes and how to track things and all that. So we had a couple flare-ups in Auckland post that first um, couple months of lockdown, which happened to be right during the middle of my 2020 harvest, by the way, which we can talk about. You have an interesting perspective because, as I mentioned, you're from South Jersey and you've got family back there. Everybody's back there. What was it like for you? seeing the contrast between how your your adopted home is handling it and, and watching what your family and friends were going through back home. Was it frustrating for you to see sort of the lack of leadership was, that we had on this? Yeah. And- yeah, it was breaking my heart, actually, talking to my brother because he runs our family restaurant in Philadelphia, which you've been to, called McCrossons. And I kind of grew up at that place. And uh you know, it's just a mess all over, you know, and just, you know, I think he's, you know, they're doing a lot better now and they're feeling great about things now, but there was a lot of co- frustrating conversations with people, uh, family, you know, my importer, a guy who's worked so hard to, to help us out in America, just to see him and what they were going through. But I have to be honest, like some of it, I was really proud of like too. like, you know, I, I speak with people in, Korea, Japan, uh, Australia, and obviously all over New Zealand. Uh, we have wines, Canada, places like that. And nowhere did I see the, uh, you know, the push through of the people than I did um, with, like I did with the U.S. where, you know, within like weeks, really, there was, we were having these Zooms with distributors and they were, it was like, they were just hustling their asses off to try to sell some wine. No, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, Dan, on that point. In in that, I think this has shown a lot of people. I think one of the big takeaways from this is going to be what we're capable of. You know, I remember when it started, and they told us it was going to be two weeks, and thinking to myself, "How in the hell am I going to make it two weeks without seeing anybody?" And personally, it's taught me a lot. And I do think, you know, I am so impressed by the resilience, by the way people by hook or crook found a way to hang on and, and do it. And, and McCrossins is still going in Philly. They're cranking, man. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be back I'm... in my hometown. My first trip in 15 months on an airplane is coming up in June and I will be in Philadelphia and you are know for damn sure. I'll be going to see Jamie at, uh, at McCrossins. Yeah. I mean, they, they, had to get their, you know, obviously outdoor seating and all that kind of stuff and uh, just figure it out basically. And, um, but they ended up closing over from basically right before Thanksgiving when things, when the weather just got really cold and they were like, you know, let's just give everybody a break. It was exhausting six or eight months, whatever it was. And, 
And, you know, it was, then it was great to talk to my brother and see him actually have time with his family and not have to work like hospitality hours, which he would normally, you know, he doesn't get to experience the holidays and stuff. And I, I, you know, I lived that life for, for quite a while myself in my twenties. So, uh, it was, it was good to see that. And, you know, more to your point, like, yeah, I think we also see what we appreciate and what's really important and that kind of stuff. So, you know, he, he got to experience the holidays like he hadn't done in probably 25 years or something, you know? Well, first off, let me raise a toast here. I got a glass of the wine. I got the, um, we're going to talk about this too. This is the testify Chardonnay, correct? I'm going to pour myself a little. It's 11 in the morning on a, it's Friday here though. It's Friday in New Zealand. We're recording on Thursday here in, in Los Angeles, but, uh, cheers, man. Salute, man. Cheers. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Mm. That is such a good wine. And we are going to talk about how you make wine. Let's get off COVID because probably everybody's fucking sick of it. Yeah. Let me say this. Um, your story and, and why I wanted to have you on is, you know, you come from the same area that I come from, right across the river, right across the Delaware River. How do you go from Delran, New Jersey, and end up in Hawke's Bay, New Zealand, making wine? Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It started as a really as a kid when you know you you have an older brother who's out doing a lot of stuff and you're always trying to keep up with him so you want to take your bike far as far as he does and then you just kind of kept going farther and I went away to school in DC and then I went to Belgium and studied over there and I just kept stretching out stretching out and um, what, what was Bel- what happened to Belgium like what was that what informed that where did, did you just have a natural curiosity for the world yeah, I think so. I had an uncle who spent a lot of time in Europe as a kid. He was a yacht captain, and that certainly opened up our world. And I had a cousin who went to go see him a lot, and so he, they were. And we had family in Italy and stuff. So it was like, you know, it kind of opened the world a lot more than maybe some some friends of mine and, and people I grew up with. Uh, and uh, so when I went away to school in D.C., you know, I was probably a bit like you, Dan, and then I was kind of a street guy, but actually did really good in school and tested really well and did all that. So when I went away to school, hey, what do you mean actually did really well? What are you trying to say? I didn't No, I meant we both did. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Easy over there in fucking Hawks yeah. Bay. Tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I was a poli sci and philosophy major and I went to go work for the EU in the part as a stagiaire in the parliament as I got an internship, you know, I got, you know, picked plucked out to go do this, uh, being in DC and, uh, and yes, yeah, so I lived in Leuven, Belgium, where they brew Stella and uh, a hell of a lot of other beers. And I commuted three days a week to go work in the parliament and studied at a, an institute there and um, all about European politics and history and economics and everything. And uh, did a research on expansion into Eastern Europe and the Euro and all this kind of stuff. And uh, basically what it did was made me realize I didn't want to work in politics that's for damn sure. And thank God. But people, but what um, do you mean, man? Everybody loves politicians over here. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. No, it was, it was pretty cutthroat and, uh, and to an extent kind of boring, you know, policy and things like that. And, uh, you know, I was working at a bar in Georgetown and, uh, so at, the, at this point, are you, are you into wine? At the, how old are, I am, how old yeah. are you? How old are you at this point? Um, like, 1920 of course i got a job underage which i you know finagled through having a fake id of course but i was kind of known with my friends as like you know i wouldn't say i was drinking uh lafitte or anything at that point but i was uh you know i was the guy who was always grabbing trying different wines and taking girls on dates to byos and you know trying to pretend like i knew a little bit about wine and and that definitely extended all the way through after college when i started managing a rock band from from New York, which is, uh, you know, that was a whole nother adventure. And, uh, basically all came from a buddy of mine who was in the band and we threw some big parties in DC and they kind of said, why don't you do this full time? And I said, sure. So, uh, many of times, you know, they, you know, be resting before a gig and I'm on the phone or the computer, you know, trying to book the next gigs and advance the next shows. Um, and they're, you know, they would go to the store and buy some beers and they'd get me a bottle of wine and they would say, you know, Burgundy for business. And they would just keep me topped up. So but this I'm- is unusual, though, Dan, I got I got to right. I mean, again, talking about where we come from, the Philly, South Jersey area for a 19 year old. I didn't know a lot of 19 year olds who were into wine. We weren't. None yeah. of, no one. 
I mean, unless Boone's counted, you no. know, and it didn't, you know, so uh, where, where do you think that came from? Was it a family thing? Was it like a wine on Sundays? And Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my grandparents drank table wine, cheap stuff, you know, Dago Red or whatever. My mother's family is all Sicilian, very typical Philadelphia, Irish, Sicilian background, uh, South Philly. Yeah. It's a lot of uniformity where we grew up a lot of Irish yeah. Italian. You do it this way. You drink this beer, you do this. So when, if I, if I had met somebody at 19 who was drinking Burgundy, I would have found that unusual. I would have wondered, and I, we probably would yeah. have gotten into a fist fight I, or something. Yeah. I, I, pro- I didn't know that I knew what I was doing either. I just had a, a couple uncles, one of which married into the family, um, who was a chef. Who would just, you know, it started with the seven fishes on uh, Christmas Eve, which is a big Sicilian tradition where you do seven courses of fish. And to this day, my favorite wines in the world are Italian white wines. Uh, And I'm always like, that's like a pursuit that never ends because there's God knows how many grape varietals and things like that. So it's like a special place in my heart for those wines. Give give us one, Dan. Give us an an Italian white to get. Uh, I love uh, Vermentinos, but a really underrated wine is Vernaccia from Tuscany. Uh, it's kind of like a Chardonnay-ish. And, uh, you know, everybody thinks about reds from Tuscany, but the Vernaccia di Sigimignano, uh, particularly is that little village in Tuscany. Is, they're great white wines. I just, I love them. And uh, they're just so drinkable and interesting. And I find that a, a lot of Italian whites have these, like, almost tea leaf and anisette kind of aromas to them. And they're sort of subtle and really interesting. And, and again, endless, like you could just, you go to Drink. Brioli or sure. know, Piemonte, they just keep going, you know? So okay. and by the um, way, we're going to jump all over the place here. Now I'm, I'm stopping you at where you were on the wine. I want to just ask you, cause I'm drinking this testify Chardonnay right now. And I just want to point out, you know, I live in California and we have the California Chardonnay. Now I think, as you know, a lot of the California wineries have gotten away from that over-oaked traditional buttery style. Nonetheless, yeah. this is really it, this really tastes different to me than what I'm getting here in the states. So, uh, how would you d- describe this wine, this Testify Chardonnay? Well, overall, probably the one you know we everybody said, "What was your wine epiphany?" And stuff. I, I probably have like ten wine epiphanies. You know, like maybe 30. And uh, one of one I distinctly remember was when I first moved to New Zealand in uh, January of 08, going around and, and tasting New Zealand Chardonnays, particularly from Hawke's Bay. Uh, it just blew my mind how different these wines were. Um, you know, for the first time I was getting like what, you know, fruit elements come out of Chardonnay, but also the winemaking was just fantastic and they're asked they're more acid driven so um one of the greatest things about making wine in new zealand is we don't have to add acid and I, trust me i've worked some vintages in california where that's not quite the case so uh you know the t- people throw around that term natural wines but I, I think you know that starts with no additions and not having to make add, have to add any acid or sugar and that's certainly true of hawks bay chardonnay this one is even more special because it's right near the Pacific Ocean. So if you see on the front of the bottle, it says Tiawanga, and that's a little village uh, rate. rate. Yeah, it's really pretty small rating um, on the side there. But um, that's a little village here in Hawke's Bay that has a few wineries and some vineyards. And we work with a grower out there. He's actually from South Africa originally. And he's just killer, killer grower, really knows he's really on top of it, knows what he's doing. And, um, you know, you just get all this great natural acidity with all this, you know, lush fruit, you know, as you can see behind me, you know, we get a lot of great sunshine in Hawks Bay. We're, we're known as the best weather in the country. Um, you get that great balance of cool nights, you know, ocean influence and uh, really great bright sunlight and warm summer days. We have a really long growing season. We're not as hot as say Australia or something like that. So awesome flavor development. If you can just ripen really long and, just doesn't rain here much you can see the hill behind me i think it's about right there it's still pretty brown there um it's just rained a little bit this week uh, but it's we're, we're a really dry region well that's i mean and that so you th- that certainly helps with the uh, the acidity of the wine right yeah exactly you always hear about the new zealand sauvignon blancs and certainly this is reminiscent of that but uh, you know you're, it, it's clearly chardonnay but it's but there's a crispness to it that i associate mm. with New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but I guess 
Maybe it's just all of the New Zealand whites have that crispness to it, that acidity. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely the acidity. There's almost this wine almost has like a sanguine saltiness to it. Uh, I don't know if that's the ocean air or just that balance between the acidity and what what Chardonnay gives you. Um, but yeah, we definitely. And I also think it's you know we have really young soils here. You know you and that's something I try when I'm making the wines. I'm trying not to you know Chardonnay. You can be I, I can be and I have been a little heavy handed with wine making and you know oak and things like that. But um, you can be you know like you can overdo it and mask all the beautiful fruit that we get here and all the natural flavors we get here you know and again that's part of that you know sort of revolution that i had of of, uh of chardonnay when i moved here uh or epiphany was was i was like god damn i didn't know chardonnay could taste like this you know so uh, i had been making it for other people and you know that's kind of part of my story is i started making my own wines as soon as i moved here in 08 09 was the first year. All right, so yeah let's go back let's go back there what goes into the decision to move to new, how do you get to new zealand well uh after the you know the band i'd worked with them for about five six years it was kind of mid-noughts you know probably i think it was about 05 06 i went back to work full-time at the restaurant i was general manager there my brother needed a break he was doing some other things and uh he always stayed in jersey he moved to la for a little bit but he always stayed in jersey um you know and to this day he lives there but not me you know i was like at one point i was living above the bar i was living around the corner i lived in a couple great apartments roof decks you know just uh, i was doing the philly thing full on and uh it was catching up to me man i was not living (laughs) great lifestyle (laughs) wasn't very healthy uh, Well, I mean, you know, I was, uh, I knew every bartender in town. I'm familiar with that lifestyle as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't have to go into all the details, but I wasn't the nicest boy or the, I was a nice boy, but maybe too nice and, uh, very accepting of a lot of party favors from everybody. I hear it. And, uh, and having a really good time, but I, I, you know, I I don't know if people are aware of this. The ATMs in Philadelphia spit out rolled up (laughs) twenties. I'm kidding. All right, so you're partying in Philly, and then you decide, fuck it, I'm going to go to New Zealand to learn how to make wine. Did you have a friend yeah. over there? Was was did you know anybody? No, no. Just so went pretty to New much, Zealand. I was I was like running these wine tastings, and I just every time I tasted New Zealand wine, I was like, what the hell is this stuff? And I was taking these classes at the wine school of Philadelphia and doing like WSET stuff on the side, and because I, you know, I, I had to do something to keep me on some kind of path you know i don't want to be completely untethered and uh and i went to the teacher of the or the owner of the school and i just said like well you know how do you do this like i think i want to try to make wine or be involved in it and the original idea was like i think i could maybe import wine into the u.s and do that and i started looking at winemaking schools around the country and i looked at walla walla washington believe it or not and i've I've been there i've got i've got several well charles smith probably the most famous winemaker from Walla Walla, but I've got a very good friend, yeah. Trey Bush up there, makes sleight of hand wine and the very, very underrated wine region in the United States. Yeah. So I, I was looking at, I did my homework, you know, I had plenty of late nights to think about all this. And, uh, uh, I looked at two up and coming regions and, you know, New Zealand, but particularly North Island, New Zealand, I was looking at, cause I loved Martinborough Pinot, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec. Uh, and, uh, and I found the school, a, a winemaking school in Hawks Bay and I applied and I got in and, uh, it was a four year degree originally to do a concurrent and viticulture and winemaking. And I just basically upped and moved here. Didn't know anybody. I met one person that had ever been to Hawks Bay and he's like, yeah, great weather. And that sounded good enough to me. You know, the pictures look good and all that. I think I had maybe one or two wines from here, but you know, there's, at that stage, there was not a lot of Hawks Bay. There still isn't a lot of Hawks Bay wine in America, um, but there was hardly any then. That was really tough to find. But I thought, oh, that's close enough to Martinborough. Let's just do it. Did you have an idea that you? Because you've been there what now? Thirteen year, thirteen years, right? Yeah, thir- thirteen. Did you uh, imagine? Did you imagine back then that you'd still be there? I couldn't imagine. I'd be lying if I thought, yeah, I'm going to move to New Zealand and become a winemaker. That 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 is so outside of the realm of possibilities at that point in my life. I just thought, let's go try this thing and learn and yeah. 
As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. The unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. By the way, speaking of your your band background, one of the really the first I thought good New Zealand wines, and and that's on me because I just didn't know a lot about it. But I, many years ago, I think when I was writing for Playboy, I met the guy, and I can't remember his name. You probably know it from Felton Road. Oh yeah, and he was in a band, right? He was fairly big musician, wasn't he? Or Nigel? Is it Nigel? Nigel that's right. Yeah. yeah. Is he, yeah. he? Yeah. So he was like he played. Bowie and people like that. And is he still around or he's still around and he, you know, we don't know each other, but he's definitely somebody that I admire. And those uh, wines were fantastic, right? The felt. Yeah, they are. They're like on allocation and he's, you know, we get to sort of at least where we're at today with me. Um, Felton road is a, is going to be a, uh, you know, there's somebody I'm going to be looking to, uh, because they're biodynamic and, um, that's where we're going with this whole thing as well. And I think you got to be a little bit, a little bit crazy. Um, uh, and you, you know, you got to take a little leap of faith and Nigel's certainly done that. And those wines are just, you know, they're just amazing wines. And he's, he's had the vision the whole time and the passion and everything. So yeah, no, they're, they're going strong. They're actually with this same distributor with me as domestically. So I, I occasionally get to taste those wines for free because I can't afford them. <laughs> Ben, where would you put New Zealand wine? Would you rank it in terms of the New World wines? I mean, you know, you're from America, and I'm you know I'm not trying to say oh is America, but if you could make wine anywhere in the world, and I know you're making it there, but if somebody came to you right now and said we'll give you any property in the New World because I already know you love Italian wine, where is it going to be? Yeah, it would be here. Uh, I've done my research and I've tasted, you know. Um, I think the biggest thing, and, and it's not just, it is quality and, you know, we do really, really well in that mid range and we really over deliver with quality. If you do any kind of reaching into New Zealand past, um, you know, kind of, which is nothing wrong with it, it paves the way for us, but you know, that sort of 10 to $15 Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, um, and those wines are fantastic. They always deliver They're you know, again, they pave the way for us, but if you do any kind of digging beyond that, you'll just get blown away by things like Pinot Noir and Syrah and red blends and Chardonnay and uh, Rieslings. And, you know, it's just endless. And you stack those up against, uh, you know, let's forget the old world for a second, but if you could stack them up against any new world wines and you get in there and the, for the quality, uh, you know, it's just no comparison. And, and let me ask you real quick while I have this. So with this testify Chardonnay, how much is this a bottle? Well, that's a top range, Dan. So that's, uh, I want to say it's probably about 35 a bottle in the U.S. Okay. Uh, so, but this is part of the decibel. This is under the the decibel umbrella. Yeah. So if you go to decibelwines.com, you'll see all the, the full range of wines there. Decibels, you know, my main range, the wines I first started making, they're five single vineyard wines, uh, three of which are now in uh, either certified organic or in transition to organic and uh the test of i do a junta range which is kind of no rules that tends to go direct to trade we don't sell those as much on the website uh they tend to be in a lot of restaurants and just if i get an interesting parcel of fruit i'll put it under that range that's named after my grandmother uh stella junta uh and uh but the testify range is something i started in 2016 with one wine uh a malbec uh, and now it's expanded to tiwanga chardonnay uh, uh, Martin Barrow Pinot Noir and Decibel or and um, Gibble Gravels uh, Malbec dominant blend it is now and um, yeah I kind of say it's my hand on heart best effort you know I testify it comes from a Robbie Robertson song you know it's a great wine uh, you know when I'm drinking this so I'm getting a little apple notes in this there's a but I I can't help I can't escape the feeling that this would be such a great wine 
to have with oysters. Yeah. Right. I don't, it's, I it's, I it, as that. I'm drinking it, I'm going, I wish I had some oysters right now because this just anybody out there, if you're looking, you know, you want to, this just seems like a perfect wine for oysters. Why? Oh, cause that acid's going to cut through the, you know, those chewy oysters basically. And, um, you know, you need something that's going to refresh your palate uh, when you eat something like uh, oysters or some other shellfish as well. So, and I think that sanguine thing I mentioned earlier will play a big part in that too. You know, it's like taking a trip to the ocean. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's definitely, I knew you were going to say that too. I was, I, we've heard that comment so many times. You know? So if I got to open one more of these testifies, if you want people out there to know, are we going to go the red blend or the Pinot Noir? I'll try the red blend. Let's stay in Hawks Bay. Um, you know, we're getting more and more traction with our Pinot and, you know, we've just gotten some really good, you know, reviews and all that. But if we got to pick one, let's do something unique. Yeah. I think, you know, people are starting to know about New Zealand Pinot. That's the testify. And that's also, I'm really proud of that one because it's made from certified organic fruit. So this is a, this is Malbec and Merlot. It's 80% Malbec, 20% Merlot. That's right. Why don't they ever have corks? Why they don't? Why no corks in New Zealand? It never happens, right? No, there's there's some, but it's just they're so expensive. You know, you're, to get quality corks here, you're talking dollar fifty, two dollars a cork, and um, it, it, it's historically because we're so far away from Portugal, and the cork the cork people in Portugal, it's like the mafia. I mean, it is. It's like it's the mafia basically, and they'll just send you these dodgy corks these faulty corks and just and they're like daring you, know, you what the fuck are you gonna do you're all the way in new exactly. zealand you coming for us exactly. bring it motherfucker yeah so if you go back to the 90s in new zealand you'll have batches of wine where there'll be like 50 60 percent uh cork tea and so eventually by the early 2000s people just said let's give up and there was a couple big wineries like villa maria uh that that just said we're going 100 percent screw cap we just can't hurt our quality that you know we're putting all this work into wine and then people are opening our corked wine so uh yeah well, let me but while i have you here dan let me you are an expert uh, you know south jersey i mean south jersey aside you are an expert i'm just kidding there's a little rivalry between philly and south jersey yeah, yeah. but that's good while i have you let's say can we have a public service message here for my listeners explain very succinctly because i can't have you on much longer or this show is going to go too long but explain very succinctly, what corked means, what TCA is, and what corked wine means, and how to detect it. So TCA, you know, is a long chemical word. I'm not going to use. You guys can Google that and look that up. But basically, it's it's a, a fungus that gets inside the cork. And it, uh, if you've ever like worked in a warehouse or you know been somewhere where you smell like wet cardboard and it gets that kind of like tainy smell. Uh, that gets into the wine, completely masks the fruit, and just makes the wine smell like that. And that's it. It dominates the wine. It can start off as really small, but over the course of a year or two, it can just completely destroy the wine. And so, you know, I've been in restaurants where they just, as soon as they pour it, and you're, we're trained to know it, you know, I can just smell it and go, that's corked. I'm sorry. You know, there's other things that can happen with corks, but that's not exactly cork taint. The other thing that's going to happen is complete, you know, it's a shit cork, you know, it's got too many uh, holes in it, or it's just hasn't been put in properly. And basically the wine will get oxidized and get, you know, volatile acidity and just smell like nail polish or just completely ruined. Are there degrees of corked though, Dan? Can a, can a wine be, because I would think that would be the scariest part of it would be, it's not, you know, aggressively corked, but it's slightly corked. So the wine's just a little off and then you just think it's a shitty wine, right? Yep. I had that exact thing happen to me with a white blend I did in 2014. I thought, oh, I'll put it under cork because I wanted to get it some air while it was, in, you know, give it some microoxidation and bottle because they do age differently, you know, the between corks and screw caps. And, uh, you know, it was like about 30% of them that were, had cork taint. But within that, there was some that was like, mm, I think it's, and I knew because I made the wine. I go, that's, that's wrong. So, uh, and what it does is in the beginning, it'll just mask the fruit. It'll just be like, yeah, it kind of doesn't smell like anything right now. What's what happened to the wine? And then like if you left it for six more months, it would just be completely, uh, you know, it smells like a wet fungus kind of. And uh, it's a real shame, but we just can't hack it down here because, again, that Portuguese mafia, you know. <laughs> Are the bugs scary in New Zealand? 
not like Australia, man. Okay. No, no. We got we just get things like sheep, which you know you might see one walk by in a little while. We got sheep out in the. But I heard right the now. sheep are more afraid of you. But I'm bump. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Bring them to the edge of a hill with a nice. You know, if you of, can't uh, throw in a sheep fucking joke into a into a drinking podcast, then what what what, what good are you? So Dan. I have, uh, and by the way, I'm not trying to rush you along here, but you know, the show can only be so long. So now I've poured exactly. the, I've, you know, I already, you know, come on, people got shit to do here in the States. Unlike the life of leisure, you're clearly leading over there in exactly. New Zealand. Uh, I have got this red blend. It's 80% Malbec, 20% Merlot. And I got to tell you, man, and I'm, I mean this, everybody out there listening, you're be like, oh, Dan and Dan are friends. And I'm telling you right now, these wines are fantastic. So what what's the price on the red blend? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just converting to U.S. dollars, but I think the red blend's around forty. And, forty um, bucks. Yeah, a little maybe forty two, depending. But you can go again if you're going to get a. And I've done this just for you and your listeners, Dan. If you can go to our decimalwines.com and put in the promo code testify, you can get ten percent off all, any of these wines. But you have to order at least a case because we're going to ship it all the way from New Zealand. If you want less. Go to a website called Wine Awesomeness, a little secret, and we've got our own page on their website under collections, and you can try out bottles and everything there. And and and, and you got to do it, folks. I'm telling you right now. I mean, this is such a um, this wine to me. I mean, as I'm tasting, I'm like, it's weird in that it seems like kind of soft, but yet lush at the same time. <laughs> you know, and maybe that maybe it's starting soft and then becoming lush, and it's it's a very clean wine and i it's got really nice tannins to it and the fruit is up there i mean a lot of i'm getting a lot of sort of plum notes on this and it's a delicious wine really yeah the 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 big secret about hawks bay is that you know we can make we can ripen cabernet sauvignon every year we can ripen syrah and to me malbec has been my favorite i make three different malbecs now and this one is always a malbec dominant i either add merlot or syrah in or something like that and uh, I just remember when I first got here, everybody was blending Malbec. And I was like, man, we got it. So I, I do a decibel Malbec is 100% Malbec every year. But uh, in the best years and the years that I think were warranted uh, from this one organic block, I, I make this wine. And uh, yeah, man, it's like, you know, it's not quite like Cahors, which is the Malbec region of France. And it's definitely not, you know, Mendoza or Argentine Malbec, which tend to be probably like the Napa Cab version of Malbec. They're kind of big and jammy. Um, again, we have that long, cooler growing season. So, you know, the biggest thing about New Zealand wines is vibrancy. You know, we have that even with the reds, you know, they're bright and fresh. Um, you know, they age really well and they can get, you know, dark and like you said, lush and chocolatey and mocha and all that. But the real secret is, and, and the kind of wines that I drink nowadays too, is I like wines with a little vibrancy that are going to like keep your mouth water in and you're going to eat more food and hang out and you're not going to have like two glasses and be like falling asleep on the couch, you know? So, um, that's sort of the, the thing behind this wine that I'm trying to do. It's, but it's just the best one that I could possibly make, you know, and that's why I call it testify, you know, it's a bit of that gospel thing, you know? Yes. Yes. You didn't name it after the Kanye West song or was it the, you said Robbie Robertson. Yeah. It's that he had a, a uh, song called Testimony, and he says Testify. That's like one well, of doesn't my Kanye West have 80s. a song called Testify? Kanye West, you gotta lose. Sure. I don't know Kanye's entire catalog. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I dip in and out of Kanye, and I've definitely been dipped out for quite a while. Dan Brennan, Decibel, go to decibelwines.com. Testify is the, uh, is the, you know. That's the heart and soul, man. Look at him. He's, he's so proud. I can see it in his face right now. And you should be, Excellent. man. These are fantastic wines. And uh, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, at Decibel Dan on Twitter, at Decibel Dan on Instagram, but at Decibel Wines uh, on Instagram and uh, Decibel Wines on Facebook and all that stuff. You, you'll see us. We're, we're, we got everywhere. We're out there. Uh, where you can find us, just Google us, man. You'll 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 find us. But uh, Decibel Dan tends to be the personal stuff, and Decibel Wines is, um, uh, you know, the for all the links and the Dan Brennan, Decibel Wines. Thanks for joining us, man. Cheers. Hey, this is Charles Woodson, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And finally, I should leave you with a funny. 
An American, a Frenchman, and a Russian are stranded on a desert island. They build a shelter and they catch fish for food. One day they catch a magical golden fish who cries, If you spare my life, I'll give you each two wishes. Amazing, says the American. I wish for a million dollars and to be back home. Poof, he's gone. Sacre bleu, shouts the Frenchman. I wish for a million euro and to be back home. Poof, he vanishes. The Russian is amazed. Would you look at that, he says. And just when we were getting along so well. Tell you what, just give me three cases of vodka and bring my friends back.